if you look at the second generation internet companies like facebook mm. snapchat yes. basically created value for their owners for yes. the initial founders um, but i don't think that's necessarily going to hold as we enter into blockchain mm. 2.0 or blockchain 3.0 Hello, my name is Abiodun Dabiri and you are listening to The Experience Pod. The Experience Podcast series discusses the adoption of relevant emerging technologies and trends for impact-oriented professionals who demand realistic and thought-provoking perspectives on the opportunities and challenges presented by this phenomena in our unique environment. In this episode, we explore the potential challenges and opportunities for the new trade agreement and the less traveled perspectives of the digital currency and blockchain technologies. I have with me PwC West Africa's Chief Economist, Dr. Andrew Nevin. Welcome, Dr. Andrew. Uh, great to be here, Abed, and really happy to do this. I, I think people need to recognize the AFCFTA is a long-term project. So it's part of Africa Union's 2063 program, 50-year program. So I don't think people should expect a lot of benefit in the short term. But in the medium term, so let's say three to seven years, I think if, if it's working, we're going to start to see um, some significant benefits. I mean, at the end of the day, Africans need to trade with Africans to be to be prosperous. So some of the things that we need here are um, some infrastructure, just basic roads in many cases between these different markets. And in some cases, we need softer infrastructure like payment systems and perhaps unification of currency. But I think people should expect if we're on the right path through to seven years. I don't think people should expect in the next one to three years that you'll see much impact of such a long-term project. Wow. In the terms of trade, it appears Africa seems to be moving from a manufacturing to a service-based economy. Do you think that this is a premature leap as we are not a fully industrialized continent yet? No, I, I don't worry about this issue. I mean, to begin with, just in the way that we measure an economy, the distinction between a service and a manufacturing is not really clear. So, for example, if design services for a manufacturer are in-house, it's called manufacturing. If they're outsourced to another firm, they're called a service. So even the measurement doesn't uh, necessarily work. And, of course, what people need, I mean, they need physical goods, but more and more they need goods that are, are services that are provided. So whether they're virtual or something like a haircut. So I'm I'm not worried about the, the mix. I mean, we need all sectors, manufacturing, services, power, ICT, Nollywood in Nigeria, but in general, cultural industries from Africa to advance. Bringing the AFCFTA into this, PwC has released an article, AFCFTA, Thriving in the New Africa, which speaks about opportunities and threats for cross-border trade. I'm getting to the idea of cross-border data flow. There has been some research on the negative effects of data localization since laws like GDPR took effect in the EU. Bringing privacy in perspective, what are your views on localization and data flows for the data-intensive service economy Africa appears to be shifting to? Well, I, I think the data privacy issue is, is absolutely critical, but I, I don't think it can be solved at a national or even at a continental level. I think data privacy is going to have to be done at a global level. And I think what we need is more awareness of everyone, how much of their data is being uh, captured by players like, of course, 
Google, for example, and others, and how that data is being used, and for individuals to get more control over their data. But I sense Africa needs to be part of the solution, but we need a whole global movement. Effectively, people need to rise up and say, we own our data, we control our data, and where we're trying to get to is we have harmonized rules. Now, if we had that harmonized rules, I would be okay with quite loose rules on where the data is held. So we may not necessarily have to have a data center that holds it. We do have data centers, but in Nigeria, it could be held in Ghana, it could be held elsewhere. But the core thing is what data, how do people control their own personal data? Another goal of the CFTA is to drive the adoption of a single currency. Could it be a digital currency? Well, I, I think to begin with, from our perspective, we think digital currency is, is critical. It's valuable for Africa because it's uh, easily traded. We don't have to use cash. Essentially, value can be transferred instantly. You don't have to clear it through the system. But we don't necessarily need a single currency to have digital currencies. So, for example, we could have a digital Naira, digital SETI. We could have a system where they were interchangeable. We could even form a sort of Africa a digital currency that was a blend of currencies. But you could still turn that into their own, into a national currency. So our view is not to be in a hurry for a single Africa currency. That's probably premature. But there are intermediate steps using uh, digital technology that we can take to make trade better and really to take the U.S. dollar or out of the Africa trading system. So, uh, speaking of digital currencies, central banks globally seem to pay more attention to digital currencies upon the announcement of Libra. What do you anticipate with the bet of the Libra coin? I think this is a very interesting situation. I think that what Libra highlighted is the value to the global economy of having some kind of tradable asset, again, tradable instantly and with no, uh, essentially no cost. The problem is that Libra also woke up the established interest central banks and the financial system to the threat that something like Libra would pose to them. Now I think for Africa there's an opportunity here. I mean if Libra had gone ahead, I, I, I believe Africa would have embraced Libra as a way to trade and it would have been bad for Africa because again we would have replaced the US dollar with something a little bit better but still not controlled by Africans. Yeah. I think at this stage there's a chance, and I've been encouraging groups to do this, for um, central banks in Africa and players like Afro-Exim Bank and Ecobank International to step up and create uh, an African digital asset that we can use to facilitate trade and investment across Africa. So I think we should use in Africa the Libra's challenges, which don't look like they're going to go away quickly, mm. to quickly get something going on that. And as I said, I've been encouraging different uh, critical institutions to do that. And of course, because we have the least development payment system, so much use for cash, so much cross-border trade done in an informal way, we would benefit the most in Africa from creating an Africa single currency, Africa digital asset, let's call it. I do think, I agree with you, especially when it refers to uh, financial institutions that have a large footprint in Africa, being able to uh, be the vanguard, be the leader in this particular adoption of digital currencies in the different countries. Uh, what effects do you see for banking, trade and capital markets with digital currencies? In terms of regulation, to what extent can governments control the use of cryptocurrencies? Well, I think this is a part of the, the challenge right now uh, with, with these digital assets is I think, of course, governments and central banks have traditionally viewed that they can have a high degree of control. And I think some of them are approaching it like they can continue that high degree of control. And I guess our counsel would be digital assets uh, are going to become more and more prevalent. 
they are transferred peer-to-peer. So the question is, how do the central authorities work in conjunction with this world of digital assets? And the more they try to ban this activity, I think the more we're going to see it happen anyway. So one of the things that we have been encouraging, certainly uh, the Central Bank of Nigeria, is to consider a digital Naira. And I think that that's something that you can look around. China is going to have a digital Yuan soon. Other countries are moving that direction. So rather than uh, stay away from it, I think that they need to embrace it to be part of the ecosystem. Uh, now, and within that, of course, you know, we're still going to try the best we can to have um, regulations around anti-money laundering, about know your client, to prevent the financing of, of terrorism. But all of those issues have to be approached from the perspective of the reality on the ground with these digital currencies and the way that value is transferred between individuals. I'm really enjoying this interview. The blockchain has been promoted over different perspectives. The next web, that is Web 3.0, the trust-based decentralized database, and more. A more interesting perspective is the blockchain as an emerging market economy. We are thinking about demand and supply, capital and debt on the blockchain network, how to empower users when it comes to risk, and how to better distribute assets in sense of who captures value for these networks. Our current economy provides fiat currency and capital market, most of the value sits in the capital market due to its scarcity. This has arguably driven wealth inequality. As an economist, how do you think about creating these new economies while avoiding the inequality we see in our traditional systems? Can digital currencies solve wealth inequality? Well, I think, Abidun, the, the short answer to that is I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. I think it is very interesting. I mean, we all are starting to understand the potential for blockchain technology to help to have a common understanding, a common database, and how many situations that's useful in. So for a simple example, in the Nigerian context, we struggle a lot with credentials. Is someone a member of a professional association? Where did they graduate? Uh, did they get their NYSC? That kind of information on the blockchain that has a shared ledger that everyone can agree on is will make a huge difference. But your question goes a bit further and says, okay, two, two years ago, three years ago, we had this frenzy of people issuing their own tokens yes. for different ecosystems, different economic ecosystems. And a lot of those tokens have lost most of their value. So then people might say that that doesn't work. But I'm, mm. I think we're kind of in very early stages of, of all of this. Um, and the ability to create uh, ways of participating in an ecosystem that can more equitably share the benefits of the ecosystem, I think is a very powerful idea. The question is, which ecosystems? And I think that when we had the frenzy of coins, maybe 2,000 coins produced during the uh, ICO bubble, there were too many of those 2,000 ecosystems w weren't viable. And then too many of the promoters of those ecosystems were pretending they were trying to spread the benefits, but were actually trying to capture yes. a disproportionate share of value for themselves. So yes. I think that those models have been swept away. Mm. I do think we're going to see some very interesting, a little bit like, you know, those of you who are old enough, like yes. myself, remember the first internet wave, and then the, many yes. of the companies got swept away, yes. then the second wave, and mm. new companies emerged. I think we're going to see the emergence of people who can use this technology in ways we never imagined and groups that aren't purely uh, focused on their own profit motive and they'll, yeah. they'll create something 
that is really the the value is widespread. I mean, even if you look at the second generation internet, companies like Facebook, mm. Snapchat yes. basically created value for their owners, for yes. the initial founders. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily going to hold as we enter into blockchain mm. 2.0 or blockchain 3.0. Yes. And I, I sincerely hope that some of these technologies result in wealth inequality declining around the world. I find your, your comments very, 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 very agreeable. Why? Because I do think that a lot of people get caught up in the concept of uh, cryptocurrencies and forget the fact that blockchain as a solution brings trust in so many areas, like credentials. How are we sure that this gentleman actually did his NYSC and as well as if he had the other um, documentations accurate? A solution like that being adopted by the Nigerian universities would go a long way yes. in curbing fraud for instance. And then you also have different solutions that blockchain can participate in. It can participate in things like land registries. It's very useful. It could also be used to track donations that are being made because you have people set up um, organizations, NGOs, and what they are doing there is they are capturing value for themselves, right? So a blockchain solution would allow visibility into that. Because like I always say to some people, if I were to make a transaction in the Nigerian banking system, and the money goes into limbo. There's no way to validate that. But with the block explorer on the blockchain, I can see a transaction immediately it has been sent. And I can confirm if it has been delivered, confirmed totally or not. If it is not a successful transaction, I have visibility immediately and I can know what to do with the client and my goods and services. No, absolutely, absolutely. So we're, we're pushing very hard, I've been pushing very hard to bring that the benefits of blockchain to Nigeria. And, and people have been complaining a little bit just it hasn't happened fast enough but i mean this is just we're just this is a very new technology very new technology yes very new technology i mean even the internet and the email took some time to take off but when yeah, it no, took absolutely. off wow when it took off okay speaking of predictions what was the last prediction you got wrong well i predict things wrong every day but let me highlight one uh, 23 years ago i invested 25 million dollars of a canadian bank us dollars of a canadian bank's money creating a wireless point of sale terminal now you think about every day people, at that time yeah right so so wow. this the company the the founder was a you know scientific genius and uh, we looked at this product i looked at the product and said this is going to be huge yes. uh, and of course we now go around and it's completely ubiquitous it's a very normal thing yeah. i had this in my hand in 1996 wow so <laughs> you know losing the bank's money on that was a painful lesson and what did it teach me as a prediction is don't be too early we sometimes end up too early because it was, you know, I thought it was obvious this was yes. going to be a big thing, but it actually didn't really start to become uh, uh, big until uh, 2010, basically. So wow. it took 14 years. And 14 by that time, years. the company I invested in had, had lost the money. Wow. wow. But yeah. now wireless payments is, is a huge thing. I mean, wireless POSs are everywhere. Right. So don't be too early. Yeah. <laughs> well, I bet the interesting thing about all these innovations, and I interact with a lot of little companies, is but they're all working so hard, and uh, I have a tremendous admiration for the the entrepreneur is trying to do things, but they're not all going to succeed. Most no, will not, fail. Not everybody will succeed. Um, and yet, but the entrepreneur is always optimistic that it'll yeah. be her or his <laughs> solution that's going to succeed. Very much. Okay. What's one view you seem to find very few people agree on? 
Well, I mean, let's go back to an issue we talked about earlier in this uh, podcast about, which is uh, digital privacy. And again, it's an issue I think should be debated and we reach a consensus on a global basis. And yet there isn't an, I think there's an increasing awareness. And yet we have such a wide range of views. There are some people who give away their data very easily for effectively nothing, very comfortable with that. There are other people that are trying to hold on to it. And I, I do think it's an issue for us because while while as a as a people globally we're dithering on this issue what's happening is that digital the major digital companies are capturing this value so i think there should be uh, more attempts to build consensus around this to get the right rules for digital privacy yes 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 my final question what's one perspective you'd like to get from our next interviewee well, I think in Nigeria, one of the things that we're saying is uh, you know, that, that there has been a tendency to be a little over-centralized, things driven out of uh, the federal government. So uh, we believe that a lot of change is going to be driven at the sub-national level. And also between the organized private sector, the NGO sector, and state or local government. So I think what would be interesting on on the uh, podcast, future podcast, is to hear from people doing things who are not necessarily in the Lagos-Abuja axis, people who are making change in uh, Edo State, people yes. making change in um, Cross River Cross State, River. in Calabar, people that are making change in Niger State. I was there uh, two months ago. It was very impressive. And I think those stories would would really encourage Nigeria because we need things to progress across the nation. Yes. Uh, both because only 10% of people live in, in Lagos, but also because you know, we don't want people coming to Lagos where mm. it's crowded, it's a difficult environment. If you could have a prosperous life in some of the smaller commercial centers yes. and they're thriving, yeah. I think a lot of people would prefer that. So I would like to hear more voices from around the country and not necessarily business voices, but also NGOs, also government people in the outside of Abuja trying to make a difference. Thank you so much, Dr. Andrew Levy. It has been a real pleasure having you on this podcast. Thank you. You're very welcome. It's been a delight for me. Thank you. Thank you so much.